Welcome to Popcorn and Compliance, a podcast series where we take a look at movies and try to mine them for leadership and compliance lessons learned. I'm going to begin a series with my colleague Richard Lummis, where we're going to look at movies and we're going to focus a little bit more on leadership than compliance, but we'll also talk about some of the compliance lessons learned that you can use as you move forward moving up the ladder to hopefully become a chief compliance officer. It's going to be a fun series. I know you'll enjoy Richard's insights. He's got some great insights. Obviously a little little bit different than Jay Rosen and Megan Doherty, but that's what makes this series so great. I know you will enjoy it. In this episode, we take up the Oscar Best Picture winning film, No Country for Old Men. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, right back. Today we're finishing our review of movies that have won the Academy Award for Best Picture with No Country for Old Men, based on Cormac McCarthy's book of the same name. Released in 2007, it not only won Best Picture, it won Best Director for the Coen Brothers, Best Adapted Screenplay from the novel and Best Supporting Actor for Javier Bardem as the psychopathic killer Anton Sugar. Set in 1980 West Texas, Josh Brolin is the welder and Vietnam vet Llewellyn Moss. The role was originally offered to Heath Ledger, who turned it down. That would have been an interesting casting choice. Tommy Lee Jones is Sheriff Tom Bell. Woody Harrelson is rival hitman Carson Wells. The movie starts with a drug deal that's gone bad, leaving the landscape strewn with bodies. Moss comes on the scene while tracking a wounded pronghorn antelope and finds a briefcase with $2 million in cash in it, setting off a chase that leaves the rest of the countryside strewn with more bodies. Tom, what's your impression of this movie? It was certainly violent. (laughs) And uh, violence permeates this movie uh, throughout. The means and methods uh, people are tortured, killed, uh, maimed is almost... Unending. A air gun is used to kill people by a joker. But I guess the. It starts off strangling a deputy with the handcuffs. Yes, and it goes downhill from there. <laughs> but there's some really interesting themes throughout this movie. I'm not sure we can draw leadership lessons from them, but perhaps we can tease some of them out. The first was really the theme of destiny and self determination. The Cohen Brothers movies seem to be a odds connected series of events or perhaps disconnected series of events that lead to a tragic or semi-tragic ending, sometimes a comedic ending, starting with Blood Simple, their first movie. Um, And while at first blush this may seem to be that type of movie, actually I found a much more coherent pattern. And this coherent pattern is really the protagonists in this movie, the Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem character. Javier has a couple of scenes where he challenges someone to correctly or incorrectly call a flip of a coin, and he will make a decision to kill them or not based upon their calling of a coin head flip. There we clearly see perhaps luck involved, and the ending scene is with the Josh Brolin character's wife, where he challenges to do that, and she says no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to allow you the decision to kill me to be made by not only 
the flip of a coin, but also to take the responsibility away from of you saying you just lost a coin flip, I'm going to plug you. And she challenges him successfully on it, and he leaves her. So the themes of destiny versus self-determination are in the movie. Certainly the, the theme of the frontier. This is not the Wild West of the 1880s. This is the Wild West of the 1980s. And I thought about this theme a lot because I really wanted to talk about it. At first, it seemed to me that the Tommy Lee Jones character, Sheriff Tom Bell, was trying to articulate that things had changed. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought they've not changed. Really, they haven't changed at all. Now, he his role in the movie is a little bit different than the book. He had a much more prominent role in the book. And he does a lot of voiceover narrative in the book. But he is frustrated because he thinks that the bad guys are getting the upper hand, whether that's from outgunning him, uh, being more sophisticated than him, not honoring, uh, living up to a code of honor that he still subscribes to. But I think these are all his fault and his responsibility. Criminals change as law enforcement becomes more sophisticated and they they move to a soft spot, whether that soft spot is enhanced firepower, enhanced armament, or more sophistication in types of crime, or actually even being more violent. And law enforcement has to respond to that. And if I think back to, if we can think back to the, not just the Republic of Texas law enforcement, but the law enforcement of the Texas Rangers, after we became a state, the Rangers responded uh, with violence. And they responded in a violent society. And it, we laugh about or talk about one riot, one ranger, but it wasn't one riot, one ranger. It was 75 rangers in a corps, or uh, I think they called it a company. Yeah. And so when you have 75 rangers surrounding three or four bank robbers, it's going to be a long <laughs> sleep for the bank robbers because they're probably not going to be taken alive. But it was a risk response that was appropriate at that time. And for Tommy Lee Jones to now bemoan the fact that he can't go out and ride the range and successfully patrol a territory that is literally the size of the moon and with Mexican gangs that have firepower of small American armies or small Latin American armies, I think really speaks to him not correctly assessing the time and place that he's being asked to do his job. And so when I thought through the themes of this movie for this podcast, as opposed to just being overwhelmed by what appear to be an unrelated series of events or connections, I really thought about every organization must evolve and law enforcement must have, whether even if we wanted to take it to today, where what kind of wall should be in place on the southern border? Should it be a 15-foot concrete wall should be a steel wall or should be a combination of electronic surveillance, drones, or other modern surveillance techniques to allow at least some semblance of security on the southern or would none of that be applicable if you've all just coming in through tunnels, ground penetrating <laughs> radar. There's literally different ways to, to assess a risk and to respond to that. And I guess the more I thought about Tommy Lee Jones' response, it was certainly insufficient, but it seemed to me insufficient by his choice. That's an interesting, interesting take on it. Um, and also, I, my interpretation of Chigurh's interview with the wife is that he did kill her, although it's, and he's checking his boots for blood as he's leaving. But it's one of the few killings of his that's not graphically shown. Right. So at least there's some ambiguity there. And as with much of McCarthy's works, this it's really a meditation, I think, on the violence people are capable of and how thin the veneer of civilization is, especially in on the margins and with marginal characters. 
The other leadership lesson I picked up was the, the character actor Stephen Root, who's listed in the credits as the man who hires well, finds out that assigning the same job to too many people can be counterproductive. That's a great lesson. The, a couple of other notes I have, Richard. Crime changed, and in this movie, law enforcement didn't change with crime, and I kind of hit on that theme a little bit earlier. But the other point I had was that certainly in in the person of the Tommy Lee Jones character, Sheriff Tom Bell, the hero has grown old. And I really took that as a meditation of the individual has been replaced by the corporation. And the corporation now controls, as you are, in fact, that was a great lead in, because it was a corporation that hired the two hitmen, and that it, was, it would be a corporation who would, I think, would be able to respond to this situation from the law enforcement side of things, whether that be a law enforcement agency with uh, greater resources or uh, something else. And uh, so it really seemed to me to be a lot of different themes. And now that you say it that way, a meditation is absolutely the appropriate word. Because uh, once you get past being overwhelmed by the violence, I think there's a lot to think about. The first of all, the relationship between Josh Rowland and his wife, I thought was that was very interesting. <laughs> Where'd you get it? At the getting place. <laughs> At the getting place. How he stumbled upon a crime scene and probably from his Vietnam days immediately or intuitively understood that an ambush had happened and uh, that they were probably after something that they didn't when he takes the money, where he flees down to the Texas border. The Woody Harrelson character was uh, endlessly fascinating. The scene where Javier is outside his hotel room and when Javier's, one of his tricks is to take the light, hall light out. And the minute the hall light goes out, he knows time time to get ready to scoot, which, uh, which he does. The uh, self-catheterization of the wound by Javier yeah. and uh, stitching himself and shooting himself up after he is wounded in a fight with Josh Brolin character. It was, I was very disappointed in one part which is when the Josh Brolin character dies, you don't see that death. And the implication is that he is killed by yet another group we haven't talked about, a Mexican gang who's also after the money. And they have a big shoot at a hotel, and the police show up before they can find the money that Josh Brolin has hidden. I read a couple of articles in preparation for this podcast that suggested the reason we don't see him is because he got away. And <laughs> everything was too hot, so he just fled. I tend to reject that because of the scene with his wife at the end when his wife is at her mother's funeral by herself. But nevertheless, that's an interpretation that I had not considered. I had not either. There's really a lot going on in this movie. Um, I love Cormac McCartney. I highly commend both the book and the movie, but I do agree that it is a very violent movie. And it was really shocking for me the first time I saw that kind of... I'd seen violence on the big screen, but it's still shocking. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is... In movie terms, I would also say the cinematography and the West Texas scenery are outstanding. The book is really told from the perspective of Sheriff Bell, and the movie intercuts as much or more with Chigurh and Moss's viewpoint. And it's really hard to upstage Tommy Lee Jones, but I think both Brolin and especially Bardem in this movie are absolutely riveting. And Bardem, this is one of the great, not just bad guys, evil characters <laughs> in the movies. He is just a complete psychopath and kill you just as soon as look at you or make you flip a coin. One of the tidbits I ran across was that the novel may have been partially based on the 1973 Walter Matthau movie, Charlie Varick. 
which I need to go back and watch. I saw that reference as well, and I thought the same thing because it's been years since I've seen that movie, and frankly, I can't hardly even remember it. Yeah, but I think that that does show the interplay between the two media. Where do you see this movie in the Coen Brothers pantheon? Ooh, interesting question. I think it's probably one of their best. Right. If not the best. Certainly the Academy agreed with you. Yeah. I guess for me, it's still Blood Simple. Yeah. That was so different to anything I had seen at that point in my life. It was very violent as well, but a great plot twist. And I guess it was just so stunning for me. For That was their kind of big day premiere. That's still my favorite, but this one is definitely right up there. Yeah, I'll have to go back and rewatch that one. A lot of his other stuff is just, um, I don't know, there's a comedic twist to it. Right. That's totally absent in this one, really. Very satirical. This has no comedy. <laughs> Well, highly recommend this one, too. This is Tom Fox again. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. If you haven't checked out my newest short series, Never the Same, I hope you will do so. It's a series focused on how business has changed forever after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I did this with Brandon Daniels, CEO and President at Exeter. We took up five topics, supply chain, trade and economic sanctions, and I brought her in on corruption compliance, cybersecurity, and ESG. I know you will enjoy it and find it very interesting. All on the Compliance Podcast Network. We look forward to visiting with you again on Popcorn and Compliance. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.